For months, news has trickled out about the people who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. There are chilling images of rioters fighting with police, spraying chemicals, smashing doors and windows to break into the Capitol. Hundreds of them have been charged with federal crimes in its aftermath. The Justice Department has spent more than a year on one of the biggest and most complex criminal investigations in its history. The amount of evidence against many of the insurrectionists is growing, but sorting through it all has ground many of these criminal cases to a halt. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. Today, in the first of a two-part series on the January 6th investigations, why might take years to prosecute all the rioters who invaded the Capitol and how difficult it'll be to make the charges stick? Here to talk about all of this is my L.A. Times colleague, Sarah D. Wire. She covers the U.S. Department of Justice and National Security with a focus on January 6th. Sarah, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. There's just been so much news surrounding January 6th over the past year on all sorts of levels. But one word seems to come up again and again to describe it all. Unprecedented. This is an unprecedented security breach. This is an unprecedented assault on democracy. Our democracy is under unprecedented assault, unlike anything we've seen. Why that word? Well, think about it this way. Never before in U.S. history has there been a single event that has resulted in criminal charges brought against so many people at the same time. There were thousands of protesters. There were hundreds of people who entered the Capitol. We're fighting with police. There were police officers injured. There were members of Congress running and hiding. We've never had anything like this before, and it all played out in real time on people's televisions. Yeah, you were there. We had you on The Times on the one-year anniversary of January 6th to describe what you saw. It was real for so many people who were there physically, but it was so real for people watching it on television or seeing it appear on on Twitter and Facebook. And I think that's part of why it was so unprecedented. It was an attack on the Capitol that hasn't happened since the British burned Washington, D.C., And since January 6th, federal prosecutors have been charging people with crimes related to the insurrection. And even now, 15 months later, new cases keep getting introduced seemingly every week. But the process has been super slow. What's holding everything up? The sheer amount of evidence. So a year ago, U.S. attorneys told the courts that they had collected 250 terabytes of data. And if you're like me, you have no idea what a terabyte is. Uh, (laughs) But 250 terabytes of data is equal to about 32.5 million digital photos. It's 500,000 hours of audio. To put it in context, the Hubble telescope has collected 290 terabytes of data in the last 31 years. 
Oh, wow. That much evidence then that the Justice Department has. So how are they dealing with all of it? So they have to make it available to every defendant. That's what they've decided. And they're putting it into a database that defense attorneys can access and some of the defendants can even access. But, you know, this isn't an easy process. You can't just slap this information on the cloud because it can't be available to the general public. It has to be streamlined. It has to be put into a format that anyone can use. I mean, think about it. A federal law enforcement in Kansas recording a witness statement might use one type of software, and that might not be on all defendants' computers. So it has to be standardized across the board. Coming up after the break, how federal prosecutors and defense attorneys are using this astronomical amount of evidence. Welcome back. Sarah, where's most of the evidence from the January 6th insurrection coming from? It's pretty much everything that you can imagine. So it is what was being shown on cable news. It's security camera footage, uh, the body-worn cameras that police officers were wearing, radio transmissions. So many of the people who attacked the building that day were recording it live, or they were sending text messages. There's location data. You know, all these people came into the building with cell phones on. Um, We're seeing a lot of cases being brought in just the last few weeks that hinge entirely on someone's phone pinging inside the Capitol building. And each new arrest potentially adds more information to the database. And what about getting stuff from the press? Because our D.C.-based photographer, Kent Nishimura, he was with the crowds on January 6th. He had a helmet cam on. I'm sure he caught something. Yeah, he was in that crowd for a good almost 45 minutes. You know, honestly, I think my state of shock never really subsided. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. Every time I would see an officer point something in my direction, I would generally dart out of the way while also trying to simultaneously photograph the scene as I was moving. The prosecutors and defense attorneys are trying to trace the individual actions of people within a crowd of thousands. And so all of these cases interact and intersect in ways that they don't even expect. And obviously, it's not just enough to provide all this evidence. You also have to make any database really easy for attorneys and the people charged to be able to use. Yeah, it's it's not enough to just make the data available. It has to be in an accessible format that can help the defense argue its case. It's an obligation required under federal law that the federal government has to give you all exculpatory evidence, all the evidence that could possibly clear you that they've collected. And when you have more than 250 terabytes of information, you know, how do you wade through all of that information? And what sort of evidence are defense attorneys asking for? Are are you seeing any patterns? There are a handful of things that are the most requested. So video from the House and Senate floor, interviews with police and witnesses about improper use of force. There's been about 18,000 anonymous tips that came in. 
and also details about where Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence were during the riot. Do you know the reasoning for that? Well, a lot of the defendants are being charged with basically being on Capitol grounds while the vice president is visiting. It's a higher charge than just being on Capitol grounds when you're not supposed to be. The argument has been that, oh, well, the vice president was in a safe room off campus. Or some talk that he was on a loading dock in a parking garage under a park nearby. So was he really in the Capitol any longer? So how many people have been charged so far and what are some of those charges? So far, there are over 775 cases that have been brought. And several of those cases involve multiple defendants. The overall arching charge seems to be, you know, picketing and parading inside the Capitol, which is a misdemeanor. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, you can't do that? Uh, you're not supposed to. It's, it's a misdemeanor, it's a fine, and a couple months probation or jail time. Wow. You know, there's a difference between protesting and interrupting the ability of government to function. Obstruction of an official government proceeding is the other charge we see a lot of. You know, there's only a handful of people who've been charged with a really big, serious stuff like conspiracy and sedition. What about assaults on anyone or even just trespassing? There's some trespassing charges, but there's been a lot of assault on an officer with a deadly weapon. There were hours where police officers were grappling with protesters. And protesters were picking up anything they could find to you know, hit officers and try to get through. Punches thrown. You know, there was a recent case where a man was charged with carrying a weapon while assaulting an officer, that sort of thing. What's the range of penalties then that all of these people could get? What are they facing? Now, people facing felony charges could see up to 20 years in prison. People facing misdemeanors are, you know, usually seeing anything from probation to 60 to 90 days in jail. All of them are being charged at least $500 in restitution for the damage done to the Capitol. It's unlikely it's going to come close to covering the actual cost of the damage, but it's a step way towards it, so it's not just all on taxpayers. You said hundreds of people have been charged with federal crimes, but so far only one of those defendants has even faced a jury. Yeah, so far just the one. His name is Guy Reffitt. He's from Texas. A federal jury returns guilty verdicts against the first person to go to trial for his role in the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol. And he faced a jury here in Washington, D.C., just a few weeks ago and was found guilty on all charges. Reffitt was found guilty of five felonies, including assaulting a police officer, bringing a handgun to a civil disturbance, and threatening his teenage children if they reported him to authorities. Prosecutors allege Reffitt, a member of a group called the Texas Three Percenters, was also carrying zip-tie handcuffs, wearing body armor, and had bragged about the militia-style assault on the Capitol. It was a fascinating case because he never actually set foot in the Capitol. 
but he was one of the first people really fighting with police and was pepper sprayed repeatedly and kept advancing and kept advancing and was encouraging people to follow along with him into the building. After the break, why some judges are getting antsy about how slow some of the January 6th cases are moving. And we're back with LA Times reporter Sarah D. Wire. And Sarah, before the break, we were talking about the one January 6th defendant who has gone to trial. What about the hundreds of other people charged? What's going on with their cases? So the majority of them are on hold right now. So there is something called the Speedy Trial Act, which says that within a certain amount of time after you're arrested, you have to be indicted or formally charged with a crime. And then past that, the government only has 70 days to bring your case to trial. Well, with the sheer amount of evidence, nothing's happening within 70 days. And so all of these cases are being put on hold. Their speedy trial clock is being paused, giving the government more time to pull the evidence together. So with all these cases slowly going through court, though, some defendants are actually using that slowdown to their advantage. And you recently wrote about one of them, Lucas Denny from Texas. Yeah, Lucas Denny of Texas was one of the highest profile cases. He was charged with conspiracy of bringing a group of people with him to Washington, outfitting them in body armor and steel knuckle gloves, preparing them to come to Washington to engage in some kind of violence. And he was arrested back in December and then never indicted. And his attorneys finally approached the court after he had been held in jail for more than 45 days and said that they wanted the case dismissed because he hadn't been indicted. The government rushed and got a a one-count indictment for a much lesser charge, and he pled guilty to that charge in hopes that the government wouldn't be able to charge him with any of the more serious charges because of double jeopardy, which says that you can't be charged twice with the same crime. Alongside these criminal investigations, the U.S. House of Representatives also created a select committee last summer. The yeas are 222 and the nays are 190. The resolution is adopted. What is that supposed to do with January 6th and who's on it? So there are nine people total, but the Californians on the committee are Adam Schiff, Pete Aguilar and Zoe Lofgren. And the Republicans on the committee are Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. We will be judged by future generations as to how we value our democracy. Let's be on the right side, not only of history, but the right side of the future. The committee is looking at what led to the riot more than the individual actions of the people who committed violence that day. So they're looking at what legal theories were used by the Trump campaign to encourage the false impression that the election had been stolen and that something had to be done about it. Or what strategies were used behind all the lawsuits that were filed? Was it a delay tactic? Did they think it was actually possible to move forward? And 
what, if anything, the Trump campaign knew about the possibility of violence on January 6th. Originally, Democrats wanted to create a committee that was similar to the independent commission that investigated after 9-11. And they wanted to bring in experts to examine how this could have happened on January 6th. But they were shot down by Republicans, especially in the Senate. Since the attack, Republican congressional leaders have downplayed the violent insurrection. An independent commission was blocked in the Senate, and House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy calls the select committee a sham. Instead, House Democrats decided to create a select committee to investigate what they could on their own. So obviously, because of that, Republican politicians have criticized the Biden administration for its handling of both the congressional and the criminal investigations. And you mentioned President Trump, and he said that if he runs again and is reelected, he'll pardon everyone facing criminal charges related to the insurrection. We will treat them fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly. Which makes me wonder, Sarah, How is that partisan divide between Republicans and Democrats playing out with this aftermath of January 6th? Well, especially on the committee, we're seeing it because Republicans weren't allowed to appoint the people they wanted to the committee. Nancy Pelosi wouldn't allow it. You know, the committee is trying very hard to get its work done in a report produced for the American public before the November election because House Republicans have said if they win back the House this fall, the committee is going to be shut down. Yeah, so both the House Select Committee and the federal prosecutors in the criminal cases, they're up against deadlines. So when do you think all their work, all of this finally gets wrapped up? The House Select Committee will probably finish its work sometime by uh, the end of the summer. The hearing should start here in the next couple of months. And those will be public and televised, and I'm sure lots of people will watch. But the court cases, the court cases are going to take years. There was a a judge actually announced that if some defendants want to delay their trial that's going to occur on July 11th, that they would have to wait until at least March of 2023 before they could go to jury. So this is going to be going on for a long time, in other words. Yeah, I mean, the attorney general said back in January that he wants to prosecute everyone they possibly can. And the FBI is still looking for 350 people who assaulted officers on January 6th. And we're not even talking about the low-level people who wandered in that day and took a photo of themselves inside the building. Those charges are coming as well. And then last week, news broke that the Department of Justice is expanding its criminal investigation to include the people who planned and financed the rally that President Trump spoke at before the riot. So it could be a few more years. Sarah? Thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow... Sarah D. Wire joins us again for part two of our look into the January 6th investigations. She'll answer this question. Who's John Eastman? Kasha Brasalian was a half on this episode, and our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer on this episode was Mike Heflin. Mario, wherever you are, 
I hope you're enjoying that big old bottle of Corralejo that I gave you. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Jasmine Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow the times. No, I'm like, I could talk about Poochie and all that, but I want you to go to your device, press that follow button, do it now. Just make sure for reels, reels, reels and all that. Don't make us a Poochie podcast. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. Gracias.